spoke firstly two weeks ago about losing something. You have to lose your person. You have to lose your plans, lose your priorities, losing your problems, which is a great thing. And that was the first thing. There is losing. Then the second thing, what is our one thing? There's loving. You got to love his people. You got to love his possessions. You got to love his pattern. And then you must love his plan. And this morning, we conclude with the third thought in this series. What is our one thing? And laboring, you don't see that much. Ralph knows what that is, I'm sure. Um, but that's an old wood planer. What is our one thing laboring? The first thing that we need to recognize very, very quickly is we need to spend our time for him. It's been said, uh, in fact, C.T. Studd, who I've used the analogy, he was probably the David Beckham of his day. Uh, He was a world-celebrated athlete. And he came to Christ, and he quit everything and became a missionary. He was considered to be one of the men, (coughs) a group of men known as the Cambridge Seven. And he literally gave it all up. And uh, he made the statement, only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. We don't see... Many, I think, in our our culture, and I would throw myself in there as well, who are willing to take a step back and realize that that is so true. This life, the only thing that matters is, have I done anything for Him? We get wrapped up in a lot of things. But at the end of the day, when I stand before the Lord, I've said it many times, you know, this, this is really a... Life is a review for your final exam, and everybody's going to take it. It doesn't matter whether you like tests or don't like them. You're going to appear before the judge. It'll be unlike any interview, quiz, or exam you've ever faced in life. You'll be, you'll be standing before the one who holds your very breath. Think about that. There'll be two judgments. There are two judgments. There's the great white throne judgment, which is for everyone that's ever rejected Christ. It doesn't matter whether that you have personally expressed it verbally that I don't want anything to do with God. There are those who've done that in a blatant fashion. I don't think that's the norm. I think most people who reject God do it a number of ways. One, they put it off. They kick the can down the road. They never see the end coming. Nobody ever does. The Bible says, what is your life? It is but a vapor that appeared for a little time and then vanished away. We always think we have plenty of time. I'm, you know, 56, and I don't expect to go tomorrow. I'm ready if I do, but I'm not expecting it. And nobody in here is expecting to die today. But the fact is, you could be here today and gone today. And so you better not be at the great white throne judgment. There's no hope if you're there. You have no hope. There's no mulligan. There's no do-over. There's no other opportunity. And I, by the way, I believe that in eternity, you'll remember the opportunities you had where you rejected him. I think it's borne out by Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man was able to look across that great gulf. No evidence of Lazarus doing so, but the rich man did. 
He saw a man comforted while he himself languished. And he said, would you, would you send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water? Can you imagine being so desperate that a drop of water would satisfy you? Or you would think that it would because of your unbelievable condition. But that is the judgment for which there is no relief. The great white throne judgment. My first responsibility as a pastor is to make sure that nobody from here goes there. No one. You don't want to be there. (coughs) The second one is to get everybody ready for this one. Because if you make a lot of money in life, it's a good thing, but it doesn't get you ready for this unless you're using your money wisely for the kingdom of God, fulfilling His pursuit. And so here is the judgment seat of Christ, and the Bible says, so that every one of us shall give an account of himself. My dad used to always tell me when, I was, when we were boys, he'd say, you're going to answer every idle word. My dad would say that. Everything you've said, every, you're, you're going to answer one day. And sometimes that would slap me for a moment, then I'd find myself still reverting back to the same old guy. And so you and I have to understand, great white throne judgment, judgment seat of Christ. But let me ask you this in, return, in, in regards to our thought this morning, and that is, uh, what are you laboring for? Because the first thing is you better be laboring for Him. The book of 1 Samuel we find on the screen in front of you there, only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things He hath done for you. You ever stop and think that if, if for no other reason than the fact that God has been good to me, God is serving. Do you, do you realize how, how cheap it is for me to accept the goodness of God that bringeth salvation? to accept the grace that is extended to me, to, to, to beg and to plead for mercy so that I don't have to stand before God lost and undone in my own condition. And to say, God, would you give me that? Would you guarantee me by the assurances of the Word of God that I'll never, never face the awful terrors of hell? And then God says, why, Yes. That's why I gave my son, and then me, if I could just use me as an example and as a picture, a a type, if you will, of the average case and cause of Christianity today, thank you. Now, I'm going to go on and live my life however I choose, and I'm going to enjoy the good hand of God upon the righteous, and I'm going to enjoy your blessing and the, the air that I get to breathe and the, 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 the fact that I, I got up this morning and I, I was able to get out of bed and I was able to uh, uh, look in a mirror and, and, uh, and straighten things up and, and dress myself and, and walk into church this morning and sing songs. I'm thankful for all of that, but really, I just want to live my life like I please. I want, I want to do my own thing. I, I, I know there are things that I should have forsaken because of all you did for me, but I want to hang on to them. I just want to live my life for me, and I, I know that I'm going to die one day, and thank you for saving me so I don't have to go to hell. Boy, we have so cheapened it. And so the Bible says only, it's, it's a synopsis here. It's narrowed down into a small scale, and it says only fear the Lord And serve him in truth with all of your heart. For consider, just think for a moment how good God's been to you. Think about uh, my wife and I. We were, uh, and Lauren, we were out walking last night, and someone was indulging in some sin. 
as we were walking by, and I said to my wife, I said, there go I, but by the grace of God. Because that's really where I'd be. I think it's our ladies who sing this, were it not for grace. Were it not for grace, I can tell you where I'd be. I don't stand up here as, as some polished piece. I stand up here as a testimony to God's grace upon me. It's not because of anything that I have done. It's not because, boy, you did everything right. You crossed all the T's and, and dotted all the I's, and you, you did it the right way. No, 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 no. It's because of God's good hand along life's journey. Do you realize for, for me to serve him is the smallest thing that I could ever do? I mean, it really, it's, 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 it's a pittance. To accept the gift of salvation is the very least I could do. I need to labor for him. A verse we looked at two weeks ago, Matthew 6, 24, one that's very familiar to us. This is in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. It follows the Beatitudes. <clears throat> and God says to them, Jesus Christ speaking here, no man can serve two masters for either will hate the one Love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, though most of mankind has tried. It's one of those things where, yeah, but I'm the exception. Most of us do think we are the exception. We think that we are, yeah, I know this is the rule. I know this is the policy. And I know that yada, 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 but, but I, I, I know that I am the exception. I preached a message last summer at the youth conference about... Uh, Seven lies the devil tells us, and one of them was, believe we are the exception. I'm reminded of that story of Rob Hall. Rob Hall was born in New Zealand in the 19, early 1960s, and, and Rob Hall started climbing mountains, and the, the summits that he would climb there in New Zealand, the peaks were right about the elevation of Mount Hood, about you know, 11,000, 12,000 feet. But man, he, he started clamoring to climb different mountains across the globe. And in fact, he and a, a friend of his um, named Gary, uh, they uh, met on a climb in, uh, uh, I think it was in Tibet or Nepal, and uh, they decided to do something nobody had ever done before, and that was climb the seven summits, which is the seven tallest peaks on each of the seven continents. But it had been done before, but it had never been done in seven successive months. And so they started in uh, May at Mount Everest, which, of course, is the tallest, but May is the only time you can climb Mount Everest. It's the only window, if you will. It's summer there, yeah, at 29,600 feet. But, but that's, so they did in May, and they finished in December, I think, at Antarctica. But uh, anyway, so then they formed this group called Adventure Consultants, and they would uh, summit people to Mount Everest. And um, Rob Hall had summited Mount Everest more than anyone who was not a Sherpa. And the Sherpas were those who from that region, and I'm hustling through this story very, very quickly. The average person, it, it, it's a $25,000 permit, depending on the province from which you come, to climb Mount Everest. So that kind of weeds out most people. Twenty-five grand is the permit. Then all the expenses and equipment, it costs the average person to climb Mount Everest about $65,000, and most of them do it with sponsors and all that sort of thing. In 1996, Rob Hall is taking a group up. It's May of 1996, and there's a man in his group called Adventure Consultants is the name of his group, and he had tried two years before. 
And he got to within 400 feet of the summit, but he turned around. Because there's a rule that all the climbers and guides know, and that is at 2 p.m. it's turnaround time, no matter whether you've summited or not. If you don't summit by 2 p.m., you've got to turn around or you're risking your life. And this man was a school teacher, and it was his first summit, 400 feet. Now, keep in mind, Mount Everest, you, from the last base camp up to the summit, is a distance of about uh, um, 5,000 feet. It's just over a mile in distance, but it's almost 3,000 feet vertical. So you're talking about your, your degree. In fact, some spots, it's 90 degrees straight up ice walls. So it's unbelievable climbing. It takes the average person six to nine hours to make that mile climb. So this school teacher turns around, heads back, and man, he's so disappointed. But two years later, he raises the funds, has sponsors, decides he's going to make it. Rob Hall is on his way back down. He finds a school teacher. The school teacher is 150 yards from the summit. It's 2 p.m. He says to Rob, he said, I'm not going home disappointed this time. He said, I'm going to make it. Rob said, you can't make it. He said, you you will not make it. He said, because at 2 p.m., it's night, it's closing fast, and the weather changes dramatically. And the guy said, I'm going with or without you. Rob Hall said, and he radioed back, he said, I can't let him go by himself. He was worried about the fallout if one of someone in his group did not survive and what it would do to his reputation. And so he said, I'll take him up. They got up to the summit at 4 p.m., two hours later. If you've seen the movie Everest, it's, it's that story. If you've read the book Into Thin Air or High Exposure, both of those books detail that. But at 4 p.m., they turn around at 5 p.m., a blizzard sets in. Most of the fatalities on Mount Everest are on the descent, not the climb, because it's extremely difficult going down. Rob Hall died on that mountain. He's still there, frozen in solid ice, and has been there for more than 20 years. One reason, I'm the exception. I know the rule is 2 p.m., but I can make it. As gifted and skilled and talented as he was, he was not the exception. May I say this? Neither are you or me. We believe many times. I know what God says. You cannot serve God and mammon. Can can I at least give it a shot? Can I at least try to, to live my life for myself and then somehow serve God? You can try, but you'll always argue with the only authority on this planet that matters, and that is God Almighty. You can't do it. You cannot serve God and man. So I ask you, are we laboring for Him? Then secondly, are we laboring for others? Others, yes, Lord, others, let this my motto be, that I may live for others and henceforth live for Thee. This is so against our culture because our culture is looking out for number one. You deserve a break. No, you don't. You deserve hell. Now, that doesn't make for a very good tagline. Andy and I go to the Chamber of Commerce meeting every month, and they always ask you to give a tagline. Oh, that'd be great. Hi, Stuart Mason, Timberline Baptist Church. You deserve hell. Uh, Some of you were asleep and trying to figure out, where did that come from? Can you imagine that as your tagline? But at the end of the day, that's truly all we deserve. When you take real stock in who you are and who God is, that's, that's what we deserve. And, and our culture says, no, you, you take care of yourself. You, you, you look out for you. But God says, no, labor 
for others. And then I want to give you just a couple of thoughts very, very quickly on this. First of all, in regards to our words, I'm going to give you several verses. Please notice on the screen in front of you, let your speech be always grace, seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer every man. I said it in our connection group this morning. I would encourage you to do whatever you can if you can get to your connection groups in the morning. We have multiple ones. There's adult ones and teens and children, but a great opportunity for you. But one of the things we said was children become their criticism or their praise. And many times, if we're not careful, we can, we can lose it with our words. Words are powerful. God speaks so much. In fact, for me, as I was as in preparation for this, I, w- I was trying to pick which one to use because there are hundreds of them where God talk- talks about the power of the tongue. God says it's a deadly poison. God says it's set on fire of hell. God said that. Your tongue? Yeah. Because of the things that we say or the messages that we send or the posts that we make, and we feel so emboldened behind a screen and we... And once you do that, it's gone. It's out there. And by the way, I'm not speaking on that this morning, but it it ought to serve as a warning to all of us to be very careful about that. But sometimes, how do we speak to people? Andy and I were out (laughs) earlier this week on one of those beautiful sunny days. I was on one side of the street, Andy was on the other. And this guy comes running out, barefooted, chasing Andy with his... uh, Easter flyer, and using some colorful language to Andy. Andy's, Andy's got a great attitude anyway. And so he, you know, just, he took it, and he not only took this, he took all the abuse that he was getting. But I was thinking, man, and I'm on the other side, and I've got a family that's thanking me for coming. And I was like, <laughs> you know. But, and he's had that happen two or three times since he's been here. I don't know what it is. Because it's usually not that way. It's usually, it's usually pretty good. But, you know, sometimes the way we speak to people, people can just be harsh. People can be unkind. People can say things and, and you know, sometimes guilty. Sometimes we say it to the ones we love the most. Oh, you, you, you don't ever say anything unkind to your wife. No, I meant her to me. Are you kidding? Sometimes I catch myself and I thought, you idiot, what are you thinking? Why would you? I don't have a bigger fan in this planet than my wife. Nobody loves me more than my, nobody has put up with more junk from this guy. I mean, I I met her in sixth grade. Do you realize for four decades she's dealt with this? And you know what? Sometimes I can still just say what I want and expect her to deal with it. Oh, don't leave me hanging. Don't. Yeah, that's right, Pastor. You're like that. <laughs> and so are all of us. You know, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a shotgun. You know, once it goes off, you can apologize all you want, but man, the holes are there. 
The Bible says, let your speech be always seasoned with grace. The Bible says, further, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Would you say that people would describe you as a builder with your tongue or one who tears down? Because that is exactly what God says to do. And so if we are going to indeed be laborers for God and then also for others, one of the ways we do it is with our words. Do you offer words that build, words that give hope, words that encourage, words that strengthen, words that build people? Or do you tear them down? Are you the one that's always finding fault with everybody? I can tell you what his problem is. You probably can, but I bet you can't tell anybody what your problem is. You're always, you, you, come on now. I, I know it's, I, this, this may be tough preaching, but remember, I ripped me first, so the rest of you guys, it's your turn. But sometimes that's how we are with our words. And God says, use it to edify, to build up. The Bible says, further, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. You know, I'm going back to Andy there. You know, if Andy would have given it back to him, and he's not that way, but if, he would have, if they'd have got into a big, you know, knockdown drag out, of course, I would have walked the other way. I don't know this guy. In fact, I would have set my cards down and ran. No. What, what good, what profit would there have been? None. You know, sometimes when you're getting it, you just got to eat it. And that's hard to do. But God says a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. So the question is, are we laboring for him? Or are we laboring for others with our words? And then may I say this, with our work, he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down and shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure that ye meet with all it shall be measured to you again. Let me ask you this. If when you stood before the Lord, you were rewarded according to the good you've done for others, how much are you get? That's a real simple question. The Bible tells us, by the way, that you can lay up treasures for yourself. Yourself in heaven where moth and rust does not corrupt and thieves don't break through and steal. If you died right now, if you died today, first of all, you better make sure you're not at the great white throne judgment. You better be born again. Here you are, judgment seat of Christ. And I know that's not going to happen the moment you die. But the moment you die, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. The moment you leave this life, you give an account of your life. I'm going to ask, I'll, I'll just put it real simple. Will you have anything? Because every one of us have opportunity to make an impact in someone's life, to better someone's life, to build up someone, to encourage someone. Whether it's a kind word, whether it's a pat on the back, whether it's a gift, whether it's a meal, whether it's anything that somebody needs. You know, think about Job. He had three friends who came to him in the worst possible day any human being has ever encountered. And they sat silent, stone-faced, for seven days. But as soon as the seven days elapsed, they all dug into him, one after another, so much that Job, when he, it's his turn to speak, he says, miserable comforters are ye all. 
my three best friends in my darkest moment, and this is what you give me. What do you give when you come around? Do people secretly rejoice that you're coming over? Or ask you to back in so it's easy for you when you leave? Give, and it shall be given unto you. What's your one thing? Are you laboring for Him? Are you laboring for others? And then finally, are you laboring for attorney? The Bible says, so that every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. I, I'm, I'm not look, I hear sometimes people say, look at me, I'll, I'll be done here in just a moment. I hear sometimes people say, I'm looking forward to the judgment seat of Christ. I'm not. Now, I'm glad I'm going to be there. Truly. So glad. I, I'm, I'm so thankful that I don't have to go to hell. Did, did you hear that? And neither do you. If you're here this morning, you're not sure about eternity. It's one thing you can't be wrong about. You must be born again. But the judgment seat of Christ, I know my name is written in the book of life, but, but at this point, I think about everything that I did not do that I should have. I think about everything that I did that I shouldn't have done. You say, well, yes, you're born again and all that. I know that there is no judgment now for my sin in terms of eternity and separation from God. I know that. That's been, that's been forgiven. I, but God says, I'm going to give an account. If that were you today, how good would your judgment be? Because I can tell you this, it's coming, and it's sooner than you think. What's our one thing? Labor. Labor for Him. Labor for others. And labor for eternity. Where do you stand this morning? Do you know for sure your sins have been forgiven? And when it comes to the judgment seat of Christ, how will you stand? Shall we stand? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. (coughs) If you're here this morning and you, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, nobody looking around, if you're here this morning and you'd say, I know for sure that heaven's my home. I know I've been born again. I know that Jesus Christ is my Savior. I have no doubt about that. Would you lift your hands very quickly in way of testimony? Very quickly. You can put them down very quickly. There's someone here and you'd say, boy, I'm not sure about that. My friend, it is the one thing in life about which you cannot be mistaken. Is there someone who would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I won't embarrass you, and I mean that. I won't call you down. I won't even speak to you about it unless you address it to me. But is there someone here at all that would say, would you please pray for me? And you have my word, that is all I will do. Would you say, pray for me? I want to know that. Would you lift your hand very, very quickly? Is there one? Maybe there's someone who would say, Pastor, God spoke to my heart about laboring, and and I want to labor for him. I want to labor for others. I want to labor for eternity, and I want my life to count. Is there someone who would say, God spoke to me about one of those things? Would you lift your hand very, very quickly? 
God bless you, many, many hands. In a moment, the piano is going to play, and you'll have an opportunity to respond. You are, of course, welcome to pray there at your seat, but an altar is kind of a good thing because it causes us to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. And God said, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift thee up. But I hope that if, if God speaks to us, it's because He wants us to do something about it. It's because He's addressed something in particular in our heart. And I pray that we'd not be just hearers of the Word, but we'd also be doers. Lord bless in the invitation, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As, as the invitation begins, would you please mind the Lord just very, very quickly? You say, God spoke to me about something. God made something very, very clear to me.